Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mason S. I'm an addict. With me, as always, is my co-host, TK. Yeah, yeah. And we're back for episode number 11. And we're rolling right along. Tonight, we got Miss Jessica S. from Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, joining us tonight. How you doing, Jessica? I'm doing good. The big old 865 in the house. 865. There you go. Hey, Jessica, so what's your uh, clean date and where do you attend meetings at? Uh, My clean date is July 23rd, 2016, um, and I attend meetings here locally um, in Knoxville and then anywhere that I travel, I also hit an NA meeting too. Okay. Do you have a specific home group? I do. Hugs Not Drugs has been my home group um, since I came into recovery. Mm -hmm. Right. Or thugs, not drugs. That's what they call it. So either way, whichever you want to go with, but technically it's thugs, not drugs. So tell us about the recovery environment in Knoxville. Um, it's actually really good. I, um, when I first become a part of it, I was like, wow, this is big. But, you know, people told me like recovery is everywhere. There's all these big recovery communities. Um, so every time that I travel, I attend meetings. I try to get to know people. Um, and there's just not anything quite like I've seen it here. Um, maybe a little biased, but we have a really, really, really big recovery community here. Um, and a, I mean, the 12 step part of it is just huge. All right, Jessica. So why don't you tell us what life looked like before you found the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous? Um, well, basically to sum it up as best as I can, um, I started using when I was 13 um, and I didn't have the typical like, you know, pre-party stage like I I didn't have that um I started hanging out with people that were older than me um I went through like a lot of childhood trauma and so my friends that were older like I really looked up to them they were role models to me um so I started just using kind of some heavy drugs um along with them and, and that was my first experience I didn't have the you know um party a little bit play a little bit experience so Um, So it started off big and it really just, I mean, it went downhill so fast. Like I started just getting in trouble and I was in and out of school and uh, my mom, like I was just, I was as a teenager, like I was just so much to handle. Um, It was a complete disaster. So I was one of those, like I knew everything. You couldn't tell me anything, care what the rules are because they're Jessica's rules when I'm here pretty much. That's why I literally live my life. Like I was just the life of the party and like it was my way or the highway with anybody and everybody. Um, and so I just, I really started like causing a strain on relationships in my family. Um, that was a complete disaster. I had no idea how I graduated high school. Um, I always make a joke like I didn't go to high school, I went to school high. Um, and it's not funny because it's just true. So um, that was, that was a lot for me. But I started um, after I turned 18, like, um, well, I had went to my first treatment center when I was 14. So that kind of explains that part. Um, but I was like in and out of treatment centers. I was in and out of um, like detention facilities. And so like, I really didn't understand like what my addiction had looked like. 
um, everybody in my family was addicts as well. So I, it was always like, I don't want to be like them type thing. Um, and I turned out just like them. So lo and behold. Um, but yeah, I started when I turned into um, an adult. I mean, it was just like jails and institutions, just nonstop. Um, so it was it was quite a, a disaster. So Jessica, what was your experience growing up around people that were in active addiction? Yeah, um, I just remember like being a kid, I would get so angry with them um, because like they never knew how to like act in public. They were so embarrassing to me. I mean, beyond embarrassing. And so like that, that made me so mad because I'm just like, I would see other people's families and I'm like, why can't y'all be normal? Right. Like, why can we not take you anywhere? Um, and so it was a little bit of like the opposite instead of like, you know, it's the kids that you're typically like, why can't I take you somewhere? Like it was the adults in my family that I was, I mean, they just embarrassed me so bad. Um, and so like, I don't know the, it, it is a lot of people like saying, you know, like, well, you had that example of like what not to turn out like, and like, how did you do that? Um, and I think it was just because like, I was so full of, um, that childhood trauma and resentments that, once I started using, I felt a peace that I had never felt in my life before. Um, so I, I never used with the intention of becoming like them. Um, it was just peaceful for me when I started using. So I, I just didn't realize like how much that was used as a coping mechanism um, instead of like an alternate route of coping. Did it make it easier to let go of some of that stuff when you started to realize about this being an illness rather than they were just choosing to be that way. Did that yes. make it easier? Yes. Um, when I started doing step work um, and some of that stuff started coming out, I was so angry. Like I was just so mad that I even had to like pay attention to the fact that, you know, basically relive this all over again, pretty much is what it felt like. Um, but as I started working the steps and really started applying some of that in my life, um, it was not tough for me to be able to forgive them um, because I had to realize and my sponsor really like ingrained this in me was that like, how blessed am I that I get a 12 step program to be able to change that stuff and break those cycles. And like, I have to understand that they didn't get that opportunity. Um, they didn't have that. So, you know, and I, and I had to realize too, like the identification part of, you know, where my addiction took me and what I turned out like, like, thank God I had a 12-step program to apply. But, you know, when people have lived that life and they don't, that's also something that, you know, like I had to really look at. So it wasn't tough for me um, to let go of a lot of the unnecessary stuff. I'm curious to know when it was that you stumbled into the rooms. So when I was younger and I went to my first um, Narcotics Anonymous meeting, I didn't know what it was. I was terrified. Um, and so I was in a treatment facility with all like older women. Um, and they were talking about these things that I was just like, how in the world can they live these lives? Um, so when we were talking about going to NA, I thought it was like a secret place where drug dealers met up. I have no lie to tell. I was so confused. Um, and so I get there and I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not going in that place. And so my counselor finally talked me into it and I go in and like all these people are like sharing these stories and people are crying and I'm going, what in the world is going on in here? Um, and so it was almost like it planted a seed that I knew that was a place for healing, um, but I wasn't ready for it yet. So there was a couple of times after that I had tried to get clean 
Um, well, I was clean, you know, for 30 and 60 and 90 days. Um, and I wouldn't make it past that because I would go in meetings and not really listen. So this last time um, that I got clean, I hope it's, I hope it is my last time. Um, this last time that I got clean, I really, I mean, I just come in open-minded and I was just ready to, like, I was just so defeated. I was ready for something. And I was like, nothing else has ever worked for me. Like, might as well give this a shot, you know? So when you know that you was ready, you knew where to go. Yep. That's awesome. Let's talk about the feelings because there's many people that, that do exactly what you just shared, right? Like they come in, they'll get 30 days, they never really participate, and then you don't see them again for a while. And then they'll show back up, mm -hmm. do the same shuffle. What was the difference between those times that you stumbled in and out and the time that it actually started to work for you? So all the other times, I, the best way that I can explain it was like I was still hard-headed. I was still lying to my family. I was still lying to myself. Um, even though, you know, I had no drugs in my body, like I was still doing the same behaviors. I was not willing to do anything different. I was still, I know everything can't tell me nothing. It's Jessica's rules and Jessica's life. Um, and so like, I just, I was not, even though like I was going in and out of meetings, I wasn't hearing anything because I wasn't listening. Like I was not there to listen. Um, I wasn't there to listen to anybody else. All I cared about was myself. Um, and so for me, like I was just so self-centered that I couldn't get outside of that. Um, and, and this last time it was just, I had this whole, I was, I was terrified. Um, I was terrified of recovery, but I knew that I couldn't continue using because I was going to die. Like I, I had no, I had like gotten to a point to where like I was at peace with, I was literally going to die in addiction. Um, and I knew that I had this one last chance. Like I knew I had one more shot. And I was like, like, I literally have tried everything else. Like if this doesn't work, then, oh, well, we'll just go out that way. Um, but I come in with an open mind and I was, I was just ready to like hear something, um, hear someone, someone notice me actually in the room um, because all the other times I felt like nobody noticed me, but they, they didn't because I was so like in and out and not even, I mean, if you go to a, you know, an hour meeting, you're outside smoking a cigarette for 45 minutes it's hard for anybody to notice that you're there, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't know this, this last time was just so completely different with the behaviors. I wasn't willing to lie to my family anymore. I wasn't willing to, you know, continue being my hard headed self that I had always been. Let's talk about sponsorship for a second and your experience with that. Yeah. So, um, ignore me if I cry. Okay. Cause this is just, uh, this is something really special to me. Um, but when I first got clean, um, I was, they kept telling me to get a woman sponsor. And so I was like, I don't trust women. Like, I'm sorry, but I just don't. And so that's a woman thing. If you've never heard a woman say that, it's just like a thing that we have when we get clean, we don't trust each other for whatever reason. I have no idea. Um, but it goes back to like the, you know, when you're using like, I want to steal your man, I want to steal your money, blah, blah, blah type thing. So anyways, um, so I ended up getting this sweet little old man as my sponsor. And he told me plain as day, he said, Jessica, he said, I see something in you. He said, I will sponsor you. He said, but I'm telling you right now, if we get to a four step, he said, I will not talk about any sexual relations with you, period. And so I was like, um, okay, like, thank you for putting a boundary, but you said that you were going to sponsor me. So like, let's get back to that conversation. <laughs> and so he started sponsoring me, but he kept like, constantly like pushing me. He's like, you've got to trust another woman. You've got to trust another woman. Um, and so like, I just wasn't really trying to hear that, but I, I found this woman that was, um, 
I felt like I identified with her um, more than anybody else that I had heard. So um, I finally found a woman sponsor. And so um, she started sponsoring me and then the communication kind of like stopped on her end. Um, and then she wouldn't answer me. Um, and then she lets me know to meet her at a meeting one day. And I was like, oh my God, she's relapsed. Like I, I just felt it in me. Um, and so my actual sponsor now is the woman that went with me to that meeting. Um, so we go to the meeting, she said that she had relapsed. And so I'm just sitting there for a few days, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? <clears throat> so I get mad at the halfway house. I go to an NA meeting and I'm like cussing everybody there, um, because the halfway house, you know, I didn't, I wasn't realizing in the beginning, like how to separate stuff from NA that don't belong in NA. Um, so I cuss everybody out. I get ready to leave. And so I'm like storming out. And there were literally like 150 people in my home group that night. Um, and one woman chased me out of the door, one. And so she's like, chase me. And I'm like, girl, like you literally need to get away from me. Like, like, let me do me like you need to go. Um, and she's like, okay, well, like, tell me where you're going. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going, but I knew where I was going. And it was definitely not anywhere in a related, um, and so anyways, we ended up in this big fight and then we start crying together and then she started sponsoring me. Um, and so that has been my sponsor for um, six and a half years almost. And uh, she is, um, she's been clean as long as I've been alive. Um, she's a really big part of the recovery community here. Um, and she is just a, I mean, she is like a godsend angel. She is a very special woman. Um, and and she means a lot to me. She truly taught me Um how to live when, when a lot of other people couldn't. Um, so she has like a little soft spot in my heart now. I hated her for the longest, even though she was my sponsor and she knows that I thought she was just, you know, B-I-T-C-H and, um, she was, and she still can be some days, but she is, she's very special to me. And, um, sponsorship is just, I, I can't even explain like what it's done for my life. What would you say sponsorships taught you about other relationships? Well, for one, um, it's taught me how to um, trust other people until they give me a reason not to. Um, it's taught me how to show up for other people. It's taught me how to keep commitments to myself and others, um, no matter what type of relationship that is in my life. Um, sponsorship became the like the foundation of how I built other relationships in my life, if that makes sense. Um it literally taught me how to deal with other human beings as a whole. When you worked your 12th step with your sponsor and your sponsor looks at you and says, it's time for you to sponsor somebody. What was that feeling like when you got that news? Because I really know I was really overwhelmed. I was like, I'm not ready for this shit. Yeah, no, I wasn't either. Um, so, uh, we cried and, um, it was the first time that someone had ever told me that they were proud of me. Um, and it actually like it means something to me. Um, and so she, I knew I put that woman through hell. Let me just say that um, in early recovery, I was still buck wild. It was just, oh my gosh. So she put up with me. And so like the way that she said it when we were done was like a sign of relief for her. <laughs> like it sounded like she was relieved. And she was like, like, I, I never thought that we would make it here. You know, she was like, it seems like it's been forever, but like we made it here. Um, and so just that moment of like, uh, it, it was a really big, like intimate turning in our relationship. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. I never thought I could 
you know, I hadn't really completed anything ever in my life. So for me to be able to like stick to that, especially like with it being so uncomfortable so many times along the way, um, you know, I, I was also very proud of myself. So yeah, that was a, that was a big turning point in our relationship too. So I got a follow up for it. What did it feel like when that person came up to you and said, will you sponsor me? Um, that was a, almost like I stopped dead in my tracks. Cause I was like, what? <laughs> you don't want me guiding your life. Okay. <laughs> like you just don't. Um, but it was a, it was a very, um, it's something that I can't really explain. Like out of all the accomplishments in my life, um, the honor of someone asking you to sponsor them. Like I, I, I just, I don't take that lightly and I feel like things have changed a lot since COVID, but back then, you know, it was just, it was, I mean, man, it's like, what an honor it is for somebody to like, look up to, I mean, that's what it is. Like you look up to a sponsor, you know? Um, and so for someone to feel that way about me, like, like it was just, it was just like a magical moment. I know that sounds so crazy, but I get all into some sponsorship for me. Like yeah. it's, yeah, it's some good stuff. How has that process changed your perspective on the way that you view females now? Um, it's definitely made a big difference. Um, so now I am able to trust women that I don't know, um, you know, and until it's, they give you a reason not to, like, I just, um, the way that I have relationships with women now is like completely different from when I first got clean. Um, and so like, it's just, it's so crazy because like, I have so many beautiful women in my life. Um, and I never thought like from that moment of, you know, being like the, Oh, I don't trust women. Like I'll have all these male friends, um, turning into like, just, I mean, countless amount of women in my life is just incredible. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you shared that too, because we see that a lot. That story's not uncommon about mm -hmm. the ladies when they first come in, they they mm -hmm. gravitate towards the men. Yep. And I think it's good that you share that. And the young ladies out there that are that are brand new need to know that the women in there are not the enemy. They have something to offer that you will never <laughs> get from the men. Yeah. And I have like, I have, don't get me wrong. I have great male uh, friends in my life that don't want anything from me, but for me to stay clean and they're, they are fantastic. However, though, like that, those relationships do not touch the relationships with the other women that I have in my life. Not even close. I'm sorry. I love y'all. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, I get it. And that's, yeah. And that's the point that we're trying to make, you know, for somebody that's new, especially some of these ladies that are new, you know, you need to gravitate towards some of these women that have been around for a while and, and let them teach you how to be a woman because we don't know how to do that. And speaking of that, while we're on that subject of being a woman, I can't help but notice behind you, there's a picture of two little ones back there. How has mm -hmm. that process been throughout your journey of recovery? So I, um, I got clean when my oldest son was one and then I also had a baby, baby in recovery. So now my oldest is fixing to be eight. Um, and then I have a five-year-old. So, um, that process was definitely one of like, I mean, just, uh, it was life-changing. Um, I couldn't, at first I couldn't stop using, like I thought when I got pregnant that that was going to be like the cure to my addiction. Um, and I don't think people truly understand what it feels like to walk around 
and be like creating a human life inside of you and you can't stop doing drugs. Um, it is one of the worst. I mean, I just, I don't know anything that could be worse on someone. Um, I know that it was the worst thing I've ever went through. Um, and so I just, I thought that that was going to cure me. Um, and it didn't, um, and neither did it when he was born. So, you know, I figured out, I was like, well, since it didn't stop, you know, when I was pregnant, like once, once I have him, like I'll be able to stop. Um, and that wasn't true either. Um, addiction is stronger than a mother's love. And that is, that is, um, that is very, very true in my life. And so, um, when I went to, um, treatment, one of the, um, counselors there was also a member of the 12 step community. And, um, I was, it was my son's first birthday and I was sitting in detox and I was like, I'm leaving. Like I'm about to go celebrate my child. Um, and he was like, no, you're not. He was like, you and I both know that that's not true. And I was like, no, that's where I'm going. And so, uh, I, I was literally getting ready to walk out of the door. And he said, the way he said, Jessica, just like grabbed my attention for some reason. And when I turned around, he looked me dead in my eyes. And he said, if you walk out that door, you will never live to see another birthday. He said, but if you stay, you never have to miss another one. Um, and I haven't missed another birthday and I hope that I don't. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a, a big thing for me. Um, so my family had, um, uh, my oldest child, uh, while I was trying to get my life together. So I didn't have him for, I think it was like 14 to 16 months. Um, and then as soon as I got him back, I, I gave birth to his little brother. So, um, and yeah, so I've been able to, to be a mom for, um, a little over five years, like actually be a mom and be active in their lives. Um, so yeah, so about probably about five and a half years now been able to, to live life with my kiddos. So what was some of the feelings that you had going through the process of, trying to get yourself together and then also knowing that you ultimately were working towards the goal of having your child back in the house with you most days I felt so like disgustingly selfish um because you know I'd have these women around me that were like you need to you need to focus on you right now and I'm like how do I focus on me when I just brought a baby in this world like that is so selfish um and so but I but I kept watching these women that had been through that. Um, and they were like, I promise you like work on yourself. Um, and so I was doing my best every day to kind of ignore that selfish feeling because I knew that like, it was my goal to have my child back. Um, and so, you know, my mom had, she set heavy boundaries on me and she was like, if you don't stay clean for a year, like you're not even going to see him. Um, even though I had started working on myself very early in the process. Um, and as a few months went by, you know, I'd kind of get to see him here and there a little bit just to kind of have some hope to keep going. Um, but it was awful. I mean, it was, it felt like the most, I mean, just hopeless, desperate situation, even working on myself, um, being away from him. Um, but it was like, the longer that it went, I kept telling myself, I'm like, okay, you're one day closer. Let's keep going. Like you're one day closer. Um, and then by the time I got him back, it honestly felt like it had flew by, but at the same time, I was a completely different person, um, than I was when I had left to go to treatment. And I think 
um, I thank God for that because I, I wouldn't have been able to be a mom. I wouldn't have been able to get out of treatment and go get my child um, and stay clean. I, w- I wouldn't have made it. So um, I'm grateful for that. Everybody doesn't have that opportunity. So I am grateful for it now. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's also common too. And, and, you know, we see a, a lot of mothers that are young in recovery that come in and, you know, that's, that's another battle that the men just cannot relate to in a lot of ways. But I, I like how you said earlier that addiction is stronger than a mother's love. And when we mm-hmm. talk about powerlessness over this disease, that's how strong of a force that we're dealing with. And to think mm-hmm. that we could deal with that on our own, on top of all, life's hard enough anyway. All that that you had to go through, because it wasn't just getting clean. You had a whole other process that you had to go through, learning how to be a mother. You know, of course, probably had to find employment and getting your life back together and all those sort of things on top of trying to treat this illness that's more powerful than a mother's love, you know. I love it when they say, why don't you just stop? Why don't you just quit? Oh, I know. Like, I never thought of that one. (laughs) Never. I never thought of just putting the drugs down. Like, I never thought of that. And it's really hard, too, because we kind of buy into what society says, and I'm sure you dealt with it, too. You know, like you talked about using during your pregnancy, like from the outside looking in for somebody that's never dealt with this to them. It's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? But when you talk to another addict, like we get it, like you didn't have a choice. And like it's a it's a little bit different than like just typical society. Like I would I would be places where I already knew people were judging me Um, and like but I, I could not. I, I could not care enough to like not do something in front of somebody. So like I, my addiction was out in the open. Um, and it was like, I just, I I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I couldn't get control of it. But not only that part, anytime I went to the doctor, um, and like having to deal with, it's not funny. Um, but having to deal with medical professionals in that state, I mean, it just, I mean, they made me feel like I didn't even exist on this earth or like I served absolutely no purpose being here. And that was more of the approach like and nobody and this is what aggravates me. And I love being able to like advocate the way that I do today, because like not one person, not one single person try to intervene in that process and help me like people only judged me. Yeah. And so like when I felt that I would try to run from the doctor. So like I would miss going to the doctor as long as possible. Um, and then finally I I would have to be like, okay, Jessica, like you are like creating a human being, like you have to go to the doctor, you know? Um, but it was like, they made me feel so just irrelevant to this planet that it was like, I mean, it was just so ungodly, just stigmatizing. And it just, not one person intervened ever, not one point during my pregnancy. Did anybody intervene? And you know, to that point, it's no different than when an addict goes for a procedure or anything. They'll, they'll be the first ones to prescribe you something um, regardless of whether you tell them you're an addict or not. And mm-hmm. don't get it twisted that because they're a medical professional, they have some understanding of addiction. Uh, there's Absolutely. like a few people in the state that really do that are doctors and they're called addictionologists. And outside of that, you really can't trust a whole lot of doctors when it, when it comes to addiction. So you deal with what you were talking about, the stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, you deal with the worry of them prescribing you something and telling you, Oh, it's fine. As long as you take it as prescribed. Well, if I like, do, yeah, we, we do, we do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, My well, brain. What will five do? 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. You said one every six. I thought you said six every one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about another important element of recovery, and that's service work. What, what's been your experience with service work inside the fellowship? So when I first, um, like I, I love my home group because it's been my home, uh, home group ever since I got clean. Um, and so it has really just taught me how to keep commitments, um, and how to sometimes just go back to the basics. So when I started off there, I, um, was just like making coffee and I'd kind of go around like hug people. Um, and then I think I had about less than 60 days and they told me to start chairing meetings. And if I chaired meetings for a whole year, I'd have a year clean. Um, and so I'd done that, hit a year clean and it just, it was the, the accountability of being there to chair a meeting. Like I can't explain how I thought, like it gave me so much purpose in this world that like, I felt like I didn't have a purpose in, like, I truly felt like I was important when I got to chair meetings. Um, and so that was, that was pretty cool for me. So eventually I moved up, um, to doing, um, service work with the area. Um, a few years later I had started doing public relations. So I'd done our public relations chair for a while. Um, and that was, that, that was pretty cool for me. Um, and I am very much, um, a PR type person. So, um, that was pretty cool. Done that for a while. And then I had to take on a lot of commitments like, um, with my kids, um, they're involved in sports. So it's a constant just everywhere. Um, so I had to eventually step down from that. Um, and then I kind of started trying to like pick back up some basics of service work at the, um, home group level. Um, and, and then I discovered H&I um, and I just, I fell in love with it, but it was treatment center. H&I was fantastic. I loved it. Um, but then we started going in the jail um, and man, I have just that so far, like I've loved, I love being of service regardless. Um, but going in the jail is just, it is, I mean, I can't even describe the feeling of walking out of there, like on my own terms. <laughs> like, And I tell those girls all the time. I'm like, I'm like, I'm telling you stay clean, man, and get involved with H&I and like walk out of this place, like on your own will and nobody is stopping you. Well, hopefully they don't stop you, but you know, like that, that just right there, that's been beautiful. Um, and then a little bit more recent, I also started serving on our um, convention committee, um, so I've been doing like our fundraising for our convention committee and I, and I love all of it, but my favorite has been definitely jail H and I without a doubt. I'm with you on that 100%. And you know, yeah. it's funny. Most of the guests that we get on here to do the podcast, they all do H and I, and many of them have been clean for many years. It's, it's just something about, I'm telling works. you, man, that service work, I'm telling you, and my sponsor, she will tear into some people about some service work because she's like I mean you know I mean how are you staying clean like literally how are you staying clean if you are not being of service in any way shape or form even if it's making coffee at your home group like how are you you know um I feel like it just gives I say us as in I know I can at least speak for a few of us um just that sense of purpose man and being able to help somebody like us like there's just nothing that beats service work. I mean, I, I'm a big believer that service work has gotten me through this entire process because there's been so many times where, you know, like I, I thought I wasn't going to make it 
And I went and got outside of myself and it reassured me like, you are okay and we're going to make it to tomorrow. Yeah. And this is just my opinion. And it's why we talk about service a lot on here. But I believe once we go through that process of the steps, service work is that continued medicine that we continue to take that treats this illness. Um, Absolutely. It gets us out of ourselves, you know, because yeah. I can still be just as selfish today as I was when I walked in here, if not more. Yes. Sure can. <laughs> yep. yeah. I agree. I agree. I am right there with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding, Mason. Oh, it's all good, buddy. No, he's not. He's lying. <laughs> no, he's Maybe not. not. Before we get off here, we usually ask, what would you say to the newcomer? But since this has kind of been the theme, I would say, what would you say to that young lady that is new? who has all those fears that you did about other ladies, those young mothers out there that have all this shame and guilt and they feel like they need to take on the world when they first get in here and get everything back at once. What would you say to the, to them? I know that if I see, you know, a newcomer now and, and it's a young woman, um, typically she has kids, but I always ask, um, I really just let them know, like, I promise, please just stay and it gets better. Um, and I, you know, I always engage in a conversation with them and I let them know, like, look, I have been you and I'm telling you right now, like when I come in here at first, um, you know, like, and I felt like I couldn't identify with anybody, um, always let them know, like I got clean at a young age. I've been able to stay clean. I've been able to um, live a clean life with my kids being so young. A lot of women don't get that opportunity. Um, and so I explained to them, like, you know, when I came in, I was intimidated because there was all these women that had, you know, 20 something years clean. And that didn't even look like something that could happen for me. But what I didn't realize at that point in time was those women that had 20 something years clean was once young Jessica. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so I always try to engage in conversation with them. But but one of the biggest things, my favorite is just to hug them. And typically that'll you know, bring up some feelings for, for women. That's just kind of how we are. So, um, I typically just like bear hug them and I'm like, I promise, please just stay like the miracle is coming. Just, just please stay. Um, and, and, you know, my favorite is, um, you know, lost dreams awaken, new possibilities arrive. Um, and that's just, that is something that I have, I have lived by my life by now. So, I really, I, I love seeing the newcomers that are young women. Like I will just like grab it. I will grab them like when they're coming in um, just because I think that's so important. And, you know, still being, I can identify a lot with them because I still am. Well, I mean, I'm not as young, but like I'm still young. So um, it's easier for another young woman to, you know, relate to a young woman. Um, and so that way, like I'm not so far removed from what they could even think was you know, possible. Um, so it's not like I, I'm not going to them saying, Oh, I have 30 years clean. That's very intimidating. Um, so I'm kind of closer to where they are. So yeah, I think just, just the importance of man, sometimes that hug is more important than anything, um, that would ever come out of my mouth. So I, I think, I think I say all that to say, it's probably the hug for me. I'm really curious. Have you got the opportunity to chase that person out of the room that run from a meeting? Have you ever had that that experience yet that you're so I have Have (laughs) I have Mm -hmm. and uh when I done it I was like dang I done turned into this woman you know um but she come back 
and um, he's living a, a nice clean life too. So um, that's been a, a special to, to watch her go from running out of a meeting to, I kind of feel like, okay, now I know what my sponsor feels like. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay. I, like I chased this woman for a reason, like she's crazy and I chased her. Um, and so being able to watch the process of doing that to someone and, and they stay, um, it just, it goes to show, man, like I, it just, I believe in not giving up on people. I think that if we're breathing, there's hope. Um, and I'm, I'm just not one of those that's like, oh, whatever. If they want to come back, they'll come back. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. I feel like we have more, um, more importance, um, and just for like lack of better words, power in people's lives than we think that we do. Um, so I don't ever want to discredit that. Something I noticed you said was, uh, stay. We got an old timer that we know <laughs> from over in Oklahoma. And that's what he says. He says, don't keep coming back. Stay, stay, stay mm-hmm. here. Yeah. All right, Jessica. Well, that's all the time we got. We are so grateful that you came on and perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank y'all so much. Thank y'all for having me. Hey, family, before we go, I just want to remind you that coming up in June, we're going to go through all the 12 steps over 12 different episodes. So be sure to join us for that. Also, I want to throw in a quick disclaimer. The opinions shared on here are opinions of individual members of the fellowship, not the opinion of the fellowship itself. Narcotics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the NA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Love y'all. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean Podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931 306 9364.